Good to be here with you. Uh, on Friday, my wife got home from work, long week, and uh, I did offer to watch a Hallmark movie with her, but uh, yeah, here, 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 nope. Audio doesn't want to cooperate today. I can just talk loud. That's fine. Can you hear me through the system? No. We're going handheld. We got you. All right, we got me. All right, cool. Cool. I'm going to just keep talking no matter what, so we'll figure something out. Judy opted out of watching a Hallmark movie, said she'd rather wait till November. Okay, that works for me. Um, and, uh, you know, watching a movie with my wife is an interesting experience. I know some people are like talkers. You know, they talk through the whole movie. It's not Trudy, but some people have that. Uh, and uh, some people ask all kinds of questions. What is he saying? What does he mean? What's going on? What's happening? Like, that kind of drives me nuts. That's not my wife either. Um, and uh, it's, it's usually fairly enjoyable um, because uh, she's learned her own tendencies. But uh, I, years ago, we went to a movie. We're in the theater. And there was a preview for The Sixth Sense, you know, with Bruce Willis. The I See Dead People, right? Yeah, if you, I don't know if you've seen the movie. You've probably seen the preview or the clip. And so we're watching the preview, and the preview ends, and she's like, Bruce Willis is dead. And I was like, what? He's dead. And I'm like, well, okay then. I guess I just saved 40 bucks. Don't need to go see that movie. Like, she sees what's happening. She knows the end. She knows the plot twist. She can see them. And so if I'm like, listen, you can't tell me about them, okay? I like watching movies. I like the unexpected twists and turns that come in a movie. I like being surprised. And I, every now and then, like to figure things out on my own. And she's learned that about me, and it is great. And so, uh, but I do. I love the twists and turns inside of movies. I think of so many things. Uh, when, when you realize that Ed Norton is actually a multiple and that he and Brad Pitt are actually the same person in the Fight Club, right? Okay, wow. Yeah, didn't see that. Trudy, you should see that movie, Fight Club. It's a good one. <laughs> There's the twist for you, though. Uh, the original Planet of the Apes, uh, when we see a half-buried Statue of Liberty on the beach, only to realize that he's actually been on Earth the entire time, right? That was shocking uh, to people. Uh, within the prestige to find out that Christian Bale actually had a twin, and that's how he was able to pull off this ultimate trick. Uh, it wasn't a trick. It was just one big con. Uh, the fact that Norman Bates was actually also Norma Bates. That was shocking to crowds. Uh, or to learn, finally, who Luke's father really was, not to mention his sister, right? That was shocking to audience. In fact, still today, I love to hop on YouTube when you get home and, and watch kids' reactions uh, to Darth Vader and, and the kids watching Star Wars for the very first time with their parents who grew up with it like me, a part of their entire life, and these kids are just, <gasps> what? They look at their parents, what? No, really? And, and the shock, the unexpected, and that's part of the theatrical experience. I love that as a part of movies. I prefer not to watch a trailer uh, for a movie. I'd rather just jump into the film because the trailer can give things away, like the fact that Bruce Willis is already dead. And uh, I don't want to know what's coming. I want it to be revealed in the film. 
And I think, how amazing must it have been to walk with Jesus? Talk about unexpected, not knowing what was going to happen that day. Every day must have been just a thrill to walk and talk and be and watch Jesus. One minute he's raising a friend from the dead, and the next minute Jesus is mouthing off to a congressman, a state representative. One moment he's hanging out with, as Todd Agnew in his song, My Jesus Said It, he's hanging out with thieves and sluts and liars, and in the next minute he's spitting in dirt and rubbing it in a guy's eyes. I mean, the disciples had to have been all the time. What is he doing? Who is this guy? What does he think he can get away with this in our culture? And so to walk with him and to watch and expect the unexpected. Well, last week we looked at a number of parables of Jesus, these teaching stories that we review, that Jesus was revealing part of what it meant to live in his kingdom through. And, and that's very much telling a story or watching a movie and seeing the kingdom of God come to be in these stories that Jesus would immerse his audience in. And today we're going to take a different look at a number of accounts. There are a number of different interactions with different people. We're going to be focusing on the unexpected uh, response that Jesus gave within these scenarios, especially in the context of Jesus' culture, which would very much tell him how he should react, and yet Jesus would take cultural norms and throw them out the window because he didn't care what the culture thought he should be doing. He only cared what the Father thought he should be doing. So I want to jump into this. We're in Luke chapter 18. You can turn there or scroll there in your Bible app if that's how you're reading along today. It's probably pop up on the screen as well. But uh, we're going to start in verse 15, and it says this. Now, they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them, and then when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not be able to enter it. Now these are going to be a series of somewhat well-known interactions that Jesus had with others. You've possibly heard this story in some of these that we're going to cover a number of times. Although if they're new to you, bonus, you're in better shape than the rest of us. Okay, possibly you've seen pictures of Jesus welcoming children into his presence. But socially speaking, children were nobodies. They were unworthy to waste the time of a great teacher. I'm sure they were loved by their parents, by their family, but culturally they held no standing. Jesus using the faith of a child as an example to all of us on how we should receive the kingdom is understandable now, but at that time it was completely unexpected. They were not thinking that they were going to hear and use children as an example, but Jesus loved taking the lowly things, the misunderstood things, the ignored things, and raising them up. Back in chapter 14, we heard Jesus say this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
And see, it wasn't about being a child. That's not what Jesus was talking about, just about being a child, but the posture with which a child would approach the kingdom of God, or in this instance, the Son of God. You see, these are things that we as adults need to be reminded of. The the children in that culture would have been dismissed, but Jesus says, no, I want you to pay attention to them. They're hopeful. They're optimistic. They're innocently without agenda. They're full of reliance and faith. You know, all those things that have been beaten out of us, have been stolen from us, that life has just worn and torn and ripped away from us. Jesus is saying, I want you to be reminded of those things. Children were unjaded. They were expectant. They were obedient and filled with possibility and wonderment. And Jesus is saying that you should approach the kingdom of God like that. Certainly, it was unexpected by the disciples, and for those who are watching, the disciples were the ones keeping the children away. But you know what I doubt? I doubt that it was unexpected by the children. I bet as they were approaching Jesus, they never had a second thought that he wouldn't receive them, that he wouldn't welcome them in. And he's saying, and it's like that, that we should approach the throne of grace expectant that he will welcome us in. And we don't. We're jaded. We're like, but you don't understand where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. Jesus isn't going to just welcome me in. And he's saying, let them come to me. Let them come. I want to welcome them in. And I think about the disciples who had been ignored by their prophets, by their uh, priests, and hadn't been brought along, and Jesus welcomes them in. They should have been the first to understand how welcoming Jesus was, and yet they're shooing these children away, and we ourselves can be like that. Even when we've been welcomed in with what we've done, we kind of look at others and go, well, I don't know about that one. Right? Let them come to me. Jesus goes right into another interaction, or actually Luke records it, And it reads like this, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. See, the ruler, unlike those children, would have been highly esteemed within that culture. Not only because of his authority, but because of his wealth. For many, this would have no doubt pointed to how God looked upon upon him with favor how he was on the inside with God to have such a stance in their religious and political climate. But Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, doesn't answer this guy's question with an answer. He answers it with another question, but who is good but God, in essence, saying, uh, do you recognize me as God himself? And he goes on in verse 20. It says, you know the commandments, Jesus is talking here. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich ruler said, All these things I have kept since I was a youth. You see, maybe it would behoove the rich young ruler uh, to be uh, uh, following these kinds of laws and commands because these were about the interactions of him with other people. 
Maybe it was just good business practice in a culture where religion was so prevalent to follow these kinds of rules and guidelines, and that's why he had followed them from a youth. Much like it used to be good business practice in America to, you know, have a fish on your work truck or, or a cross on your business card or on your Yellow Pages ad. If you're under 30, see, we used to have these books and you open them up. <laughs> part of it was white, part, no, just Google it. You know, that used to behoove you as a business leader to have that as a part of what you were, especially in a small town, but not any longer. But the rich young ruler knew what it was to do business within his own culture. And so Jesus asked him about it. Have you done these things? And he says, yes, I have followed these things even from when I was young. See, this question that Jesus presents is actually from the Ten Commandments, but it's from the second part of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were kind of divided into two different portions. One were about the ways that we interact with our culture, with each other, and the beginning ones were more of the ways that we interact with God. And so he says, how have you done in the ways that you've interacted with other people? And he comes back with this, I've done well. I've done those things. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, and he says, but where are you with God? See, the first starts with, you'll have no other gods before me. Who is your Lord? Who do you worship? And so he asks that question. Jesus heard this. He said, one thing you still lack. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it, well, we'll get there in just a second. And, and so, so he asks this question, getting to the heart, to the gut of, of what was the issue for this guy. That was this guy's issue, was his money, was his stuff. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, but who is your Lord? Immediately he went away sad. You know what he was doing? He was leaving Jesus to go worship his real God, his stuff, his money. And he was leaving the presence of the Son of God to go worship what truly had his heart. But it doesn't necessarily have to be money. It could be any number of things. At our house outside of our front door, we have this big glass bowl and a too heavy and fragile to bring. And inside of it, there's a bunch of rocks. And the rocks represent different memories that we have, different places that we've gone, whether it's a hike at the North Jetty uh, or a trip or a vacation, something like that, a shell, a rock, and we bring those back. We have some petrified wood in there, and we just place it at our doorstep as a reminder of the things that uh, are important to us and the things that we have memories in relation to. This rock is actually off of my desk. I got this, boy, 15 years ago. It fits right in the palm of my hand. And when I'm watching sermons online or I'm doing studying, sometimes I grab it and I just, you know, I, I have to fidget. That's how I am. And so uh, it's, it's pretty smooth at this point in time. It wasn't always. And, and it kind of gives me comfort. 
And I think about these kinds of things, those rocks that are in my doorway, so that when we come home and when we occasionally enter our front door, we can be reminded of those things. And those are the things, actually, that can become for us gods and our idols. We talk about where you put your time and your treasure and your talent, that there are the, those are the important things to you. And you know what can become an idol? For this guy, it was his money and his stuff, but for the rest of us, it could be our family. It could be our children. That could take precedence and be in competition with God as Lord. It can be elevated in our minds to be in competition with him, even those good kinds of things. Sometimes it's not. It could be other things. It could be uh, our prestige. It could be the influence that we have, the authority that we have in our workplace. It could be security, what others think of us. It could be sports. It could be any number of things that begin to, even though they may have had a good place in our lives, now begin to compete with our time and our treasure and our attention and our lordship. And we just have to be careful. We just have to be aware of those kinds of things, that even the good can become bad. You see, for Jesus to send him away, and he didn't really send him away, he just challenged him at what was at the core of this guy's heart, and for him to be sent away was unexpected. If that guy who clearly to them lived in the favor of God couldn't make it into eternity, how was there any hope for the rest of the crowd? Verse 25 says, And those who heard it said, Who can be saved? But... um, He said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have no one, uh, we have left our homes to follow you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more times in this time and in the age to come eternal life. For those who live in such a way that there are no other gods, even if you've had to sacrifice those other things to make sure that they're not at the same level as God, he says you will receive many times more in this time and in the age to come in eternal life. Verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered unto the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what it was that he was saying. And so Jesus says this unexpected thing. It kind of comes out of nowhere. It wasn't an interaction with other people, although he was talking with his disciples, but it was unexpected for sure to hear that the Son of Man would be handed over to the Gentiles of all people, that he'd be shamefully treated and spat upon, that he would be killed and raised again. And I wonder if the disciples, again, were like, "What? what is he talking about? If they dismissed it? If they didn't understand, maybe he's talking, maybe this is a teachable moment. He doesn't, he can't really mean that. 
We have this whole other plan of what's going to take place, and I don't know what the disciples did with that, how much they registered it, how much they logged that comment, but it was for certain unexpected. Verse 35, and he drew near to Jericho, and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, praise, gave praise to God. And so here we have this moment. And don't miss the placement of this account, how Luke so intentionally put it right here. Unlike the rich ruler, this man recognizes Jesus from the start. Son of David, he said, the one who we have been awaiting, the promised one. And like the children, he was hushed and told to stand down. Stand down, be quiet, dude. Don't bother Jesus. But he wouldn't be quiet. He, he had this opportunity with who he recognized as the Son of God himself. And it was certainly unexpected that the blind man would see what the rich man could not. That this blind guy would see what the rich man couldn't, that this was the one that could change everything for him. That he was good, and only God can be good and that he had the power and authority that the blind man was seeking, the one that could change who he was, and his faith healed him. And all the people praised God. Now, looking at how to apply these somewhat familiar accounts, many of us are pretty familiar with them. We've read them once, twice, five times, 25 times. And again, I said earlier, if you've never heard these before, you're probably in better shape. Good, I'm glad that you haven't heard these before. Take some time to read through them because you know what the truth is? We often just read over them and we know what they say, right? You know, the one about the rich guy. Oh, yeah, the rich guy. Yeah, he walked away. He was rich. He couldn't. Camel, needle, all that stuff. We got it. Yeah. We don't process it. We don't understand uh, what it means. We don't take the time to dig into it, and it's because we're comfortable with Jesus. We're doing the same thing that the people in his culture were doing. Yeah, I know how Jesus is going to act. I know he should act. And maybe, yeah, we expect the unexpected. But when you expect the unexpected, then you're just expecting the expected, right? Like, I know how Jesus is going to react in this situation. Of course he's going to welcome the children. Of course he's going to heal the blind guy. Of course he's not going to be impressed with the rich and powerful. That's my Jesus. I know all these things, but we're so comfortable and confident with what we think that we know about Jesus that he may be wanting to reveal something new to us, and we don't give him the time of the, shh, Jesus, be quiet. I got it. I know who you are. I know what you want. I know you, what you expect of my life. We're so comfortable and confident in these things that we don't expect 
the unexpected way that he may want to reveal himself to you, we're missing out on the true unexpected. You see, we hold on to this thing that we know, this memory that we have, this thing that we've learned. I know Jesus. You know, if we, we hold on loosely to it, it's one thing, but you know, you grab this and we hold on too tightly to what we know, Jesus. I know who you are. I know what you're about. You're never going to change my mind. I got this. And we hold on so tightly to what we know about ourselves that we can't accept something new. We hold on so tightly to what we think we know about Jesus, and he can't give us something new. There's another account in chapter 19. Let's take a look. And he entered Jericho, and passing through there, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and, and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was of small stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass by, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Hurry, come down here, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the guest, uh, to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You see, this is a story, I think, of all these other stories kind of coming together in one. Zacchaeus is both the one who had and the one who had not. Zacchaeus had riches and authority. And he had companions. He had people that were around, but he had not the respect and the kinship of his people because he defrauded them. He stole from them, left and right. He had finances and freedom, especially in this culture. He had more freedoms that Rome would afford him because of his relationship with them, kicking back money and taxes to who they were. He had more freedom than most, but he couldn't get rid of and have freedom from the guilt of those that he had cheated. He had the ability to see what the children saw. Maybe this has something to do with being little. I don't know. Maybe not. But you know what he had not? He had not the need to hold on too tightly to his riches. And when he was able to let go, not hold on too tightly to who he expected Jesus to be, Jesus could give him something more. And his arms were open. I'm thankful that Jesus wasn't like this. Uh, holding on too tightly to what he had. In Philippians it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you live not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not equate equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't hold on to his heavenly authority so tightly that he couldn't receive you. If he'd have stayed in heaven and said, this is where I deserve to be, I don't have to leave this place, then he never could have had his arms open to welcome us because we messed up, because we have created separation between ourselves and God. He let go and he gave it up. And when he was on earth, he didn't hold on to his stature uh, so tightly that he wasn't willing to go to the cross. That's what this moment of communion that we're about to share in is about. The band's going to come up. And this moment of communion is about how Jesus let go of what he deserved because of you. Because if he was held back, if he was still holding on to this, he never could have embraced us and been in a relationship with us again. So he was willing to let go and give it up and go to the cross. He didn't deserve the cross. We deserved the cross. But he went anyway. And as we leave here today and as we take this uh, elements, again, his cracker representing his body that was broken, his blood, his, uh, the juice, the blood that was spilled on the cross, this new covenant, this new agreement saying, I will cover the thing that you cannot cover so that you can be in a relationship with me. I want us to think about what we're holding on to. Understanding that it could be an idol in competition with our time and our attention, our very hearts, pulling us from our true God. And in doing so and not holding on too tightly to these things that we might receive something better because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want us to leave here this week trusting that we can be welcomed into the arms of Jesus. And then when we go to him in anticipation, let's go in anticipation that he's going to do the unexpected in our lives. I think this season is going to bring some interesting things. I was looking at the prayer map up on the wall and you guys have been out and praying for your neighborhoods and the places around where you work and God's going to do the unexpected in you. He's going to do the unexpected through you. He's going to do the unexpected around you when we're trusting that he can. Let's not hold on too tight to our stuff that he can't do the unexpected in our lives. Mm -hmm.